So for those who don't know me, I'm Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to be sharing a message along with my amazing friend Kelly about remembering in a couple of different senses. And this is this can be, if you like puns, you can take this as a pun. And if you hate puns, then this is definitely not a pun. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so what I would really like to invite us as a community and as visitors and everyone who's here to really meditate, meditate on during this Eastertide season from now till Pentecost is a process of remembering in a couple of different senses. So the first one involves thinking about membership in the body of Christ and in this church. And I want to talk about that some. And so then recalling and remembering that process. And the two main membership processes that actually belong to the church in general and aren't just some random thing that somebody put on a church document are baptism, which is a symbol of rebirth into a family of God. And so baptism enacts and symbolizes in the sense that it actually makes real a communicative act of God to us, how we become part of the family of God. And then communion, which we celebrate every week as part of our prayer ministry, which is also a process of becoming parts, members of the body of Jesus. And so our approach to membership is really rooted in that. And part of what I'm going to get to here eventually, I'm going to spend time just talking through uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. It's a whole discussion. And if you want to know basically what our church's membership policy is, you will find it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. <laughs> so we'll get into that in a little bit. But part of why I think I feel especially invited and encouraged to have a season of remembering with folks here is that as a church, we have really wrestled a lot with this concept of membership. And there's all kinds of different churches. We are, the Vineyard is a grassroots ecumenical movement at its roots. And so there are people here from basically every sort of Christian tradition uh, that I am imagining right now. I just, I, I almost never spoke. Not all Christian traditions are rep represented, but a lot of them are. And there's a lot of divisions on different things. And, and just as an illustration of this, so we are going to consider this period from Easter until Pentecost, the whole thing, the whole 49 or 50 day period, Eastertide or Easter season. There are some Christians, plenty of them actually, who consider it just a 40-day period. And if, if you are really committed to that, I want you to know that you are welcome here. And we do, we do not need to duke it out over whether it's 40 or 49 days. Um, and, and there are reasons that I think we're going to center this idea of this whole period being an extension of Easter. Um, one of those is that Lent is 40 days. So Lent is a 40-day period before Easter, and in it we repent of our sins, we fast, we deprive ourselves of things, we really connect with the cross of Jesus. And having this whole season be Eastertide reminds us that Christ's victory, Christ's new life, is just greater than that. And the little bit greater that we do points to the endless greaterness of the resurrection over the power of the cross. Another reason is that Understanding it as this 49 or 50 day period, it depends exactly when you count nights and things like that, roots it back in the Jewish liturgical and uh, festival traditions that actually gave rise to this. And so after Passover, you have a period of a week of weeks, right? So Passover comes like a week plus a week after the start of the month of Nisan, which depending on how you look at it was the start of the new year. Just so you know, our calendars have been weird and wonky and mixed up throughout the whole history of, of Christianity and our roots in Judaism. There's different, there, there's room for play. And I think that that's actually a beautiful thing. So you have a week plus a week, 
to Passover, and then you have a week times a week to um, the uh, Festival of Weeks here at the end, which then corresponds with Pentecost. And both of them are harvest festivals. Both of them are festivals of sharing and of, of new life and of celebrating the spring and the abundance of food. And both of them are connected to this pattern of liberation. And so Passover is all about exodus and liberation from slavery in Egypt. And so that period of seven days that marks out the calendar has a day of rest each week. And then there's a period, and, and in a sense then we could think of this as, as seven times seven weeks brings us to another period of deepening rest in a sense. If you look at Matthew's gospel, which we've been studying as a church, it starts with a sequence of 14 and 14 and 14 generations, which kind of sets you up for a week of weeks of generations. This is sounding like kind of abstract, but the idea here is that it inscribes rest and liberation from slavery, because there's also a release from bondage every seven years in the Deuteronomy Code. Deuteronomy 16, if you want to dig into this, follows 15, which is all about release from bondage. And so what this understanding of time and what this way of engaging with time says is that we are, we've been given by God the ability to inscribe all of time with the message of God's liberation. Each day, each week, the months and the years, all of time is marked forever with this message that our God is a liberating God who has come to free us and to free all people, and that we are to remember that we have, in some sense, spiritually been in Egypt. We've all experienced slavery. We all experience slavery to sin and passion and desires. Uh, we all experience oppressive economic conditions in some ways. And that we all are invited into this journey through the water, out of Egypt, and into new life. And so that's in a deep and a basic sense what this whole season is about and what this focus on the calendar is about. So for us as a church, I just touched on this a bit, really trying to think through this though has been really challenging for us. And speaking just for myself, but if you talk to a lot of the people who've been involved in this church for its whole life, a lot of us have experienced spiritual abuse, psychological abuse in a church environment, and it has marked how we try to negotiate and navigate our faith. And it's and something that I know happened to me, and I think has happened to a lot of the folks here, is that when we encounter something like the message of the gospel being used to threaten and manipulate and, and scare people into submission, for example, it's real easy to come away from it and say, well, I don't want to do that, and, and have a long list of things that I never want to do. I never want to <laughs> do it that way. One thing for me uh, was I never want to sell fire insurance, which is a phrase that's used for basically like get, putting pressure on people that they're going to get tortured forever if they don't do some ritual and then sort of getting them to do that. And I also didn't want to like pretend to, like, like, like actually be selling fire insurance, but then pretend not to because obviously that's offensive. <laughs> and then in the list of things that I never wanted to do just went on and on. And it, and it has made it a challenging, but I think a sacred and a deep work for us as a church community to really work out how we think about inclusion. Because another thing that we've just seen and that I've noticed over the years is that one way we have coped with that is by just, but by not worrying about boundaries, right? And, and that can be healthy in a way, right? To like sort of step away from that, like, and we're not. Like, and that actually is a gift from that that we've received. But another thing I've noticed is that if we don't help people understand where there is an invitation into something, that's actually not welcoming. 
and often traumatized communities and us as traumatized individuals, it's hard to be welcoming because I have too much baggage and there's too much for me to work through to welcome you into anything and to feel safe welcoming you into anything. And a, a point in this journey that has like really stuck with me is um, uh, one night in my house, um, I woke up early in the morning. I'd actually been playing a game called Twilight Imperium, which is an extremely demanding strategy board game. I ended up like really late playing it and then came home really late. And in the couple of hours of sleep that I had gotten, somebody had totally ransacked my car. And like, not just like the normal, like they empty your glove box, maybe we've, some of us perhaps, all of us have experienced that. But they'd like thrown everything out of my trunk and I go up to the front seat of my car and I open the door and there's a, and like, and I reach down like, what's that? And I'm kind of groggy. And I'm suddenly like holding a gun in the middle of the street at 6 a.m. Okay, and I felt so violated and threatened by this. We ended up resolving it. Katie works as a paralegal, and so I was like, I was freaked out, and I was like, Katie, what should I do? Should I, like, like, do I need to file something? Do I need to call anyone? And she's like, oh, whatever, just, no, just call the normal number. It's not a big deal, <laughs> which was really helpful for me. <laughs> Calm me down, right? <laughs> so, you know, we, we sorted that out, but I felt so violated. Uh, and it resulted in me, um, actually in my yard, I hadn't really paid attention to it, but it resulted in me like planting this beautiful Fuja hedge and like doing all of these things to create an environment that was then welcoming as a process of reclaiming that space. And that spoke to me about something that was happening in my faith life at that time too, which was I was so hurt and traumatized by different experiences that I had had, and I'll, we can talk about that more later or chat about it. Um, that, that I hadn't created a space that was, that was uh, welcoming. And so my hope for this period of remembering is that all of, all of you, everyone here, and that people in your life have an ability to experience the, the love and the welcome of God and get some additional clarity on what it means to be a member of Central Vineyard, or, and if you're not a member of Central Vineyard and you don't think of yourself that way, you are just totally welcome to be here and to hang out too. Uh, and that, and that's, that's an important distinction. Uh, for example, we have a good friend who um, is part of some of our ministry work who is Muslim, and if I were to tell him that he is a member of this church just because he's here, that would not be respectful to him. Right? He understands that there's a difference, and, and I respect that there's a difference. Right? And so that's also part of why having clarity about these things is important. And so, but in a basic sense, if you want to know sort of what I think our membership policy is, is it means if you participate in baptism or communion, you're saying you're a member. That's it. It's up to you. And our communion practice is open. So if you want to know how to become a member at Central Vineyard, you can just do those things. It's that simple. Having said that, there's things that it means, and I, and I want to invite us to think about what that means and consider that. Um, we have the baptismal fount out here, or the baptismal inflatable pool, uh, and we're going to keep it out here through all of Eastertide, all the way to Pentecost. Um, we don't have anybody lined up to be baptized today. I will personally be like surprised if someone gets baptized, and we are totally open to that. And so I'll talk about that in a little bit. But so we are doing this as an act of faith to invite you and encourage you to think about baptism. For adults, I, uh, this is a personal process of thinking about that, um, whether you would like to get baptized during the season. And for kids, we are encouraging them. We will, are happy to baptize uh, minors, but we ask that they honor their parents by making that decision as a family. So that's going to be the approach here. So, I'm going to get into Corinthians 12 and 13, and then turn things over to Kelly. 
I'm not going to do a ton of commentary because it's a big chunk of scripture, but I really want to honor this chunk of scripture because it uh, it speaks, I think, so deeply to exactly this topic as a whole, as these two chunks of chapters. So come, Holy Spirit, please fill the reading of your word. Help us to encounter you in and through it, despite any ways I screw it up. Amen. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You, you know that when you were ethnic, uh, this often translated as pagans, but the, the Greek is basically the word for nations. So uh, pagans is sort of a misleading word uh, in the sense that it only comes into Christian history later. A word that is maybe slightly less, re- less misleading would be, you know that when you were nationalists, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Just think of that as a possible meaning. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And my understanding of this includes both something that we sometimes call words of knowledge. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shows people things that they just wouldn't know otherwise, and they share it. I also think it refers to all wisdom and all knowledge. So if you have scientific understanding or any type of wisdom that you can't quite quantify scientifically, but it's, it's true and it's guiding us truly, that's the sorts of gifts that are here. There's wisdom and there's knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. So faith itself is not a gift that we give to God, but it's a gift we receive. And faith involves being able to be uh, uh, committed. Faith isn't just about having opinions, but it's about being covenantly faithful. And here in this context, it's faithful to the way of Jesus, which we find in Matthew 5 through 7, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy. So one note here on prophecy. Um, So I think in some sense, prophecy is knowledge and wisdom. But there's something special about prophecy, which is uh, the added ability to get thrown into pits. (laughs) So what what the prophets did was they did not only speak truth and they did not only share wisdom, but they shared it when it was incredibly painful and inconvenient to do so, and they were punished for it. So if you want to pray for the gift of prophecy, by all means, go for it. Um, <laughs> and it is a challenging one to live out. Um, to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And this relates to this Pentecost, right? So all of this season is leading up to Pentecost. And the idea that linguistic and conceptual barriers between people are torn down by God so that we can communicate across cultures. And I just, I love, so this is not how this is structured, especially once you realize that the ethne, um, the goyim uh, in Hebrew, the, that's what they mean by pagans. It just means all of the other nations. And so Paul starts by saying, you were um, sort of only members of other nations. But then at the end here, the gift of tongues highlights that this is not about the elimination of ethnicity. This is not about the destruction of nationality. 
but it is about tearing down barriers among and between the distinct identities that we've been given by God. Just as a body, though one has many parts. And so in that same way, the rest of this also is about this concept of differentiated connection, right? that we can be deeply different and deeply connected. And in a sense, the more deeply we understand and appreciate the differences that God has given us and then connect in and through that, uh, that's how we come together as one, as a, as a body and as a community. And now Paul is going to use the structure of the body itself, membership, to describe that same concept of differentiated connection. As a side note, in Paul's context, all kinds of people would use this idea of a hierarchical body structure to explain and to justify social hierarchy. And what Paul is doing here is he is not getting rid of the idea of structure. But in the cruciform way of Christians, he is saying the top of that structure, the head, Jesus, is the one who goes down to the farthest bottom of human suffering. That the, that the one who is most in charge is the one who is a servant of all. And so that same logic, of tra- that cruciform logic of, tra- of transforming structure and turning it right side up is what underlies all of this membership discussion. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, so this is like ancient slapstick, okay? Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear, <laughs> this, this like really slams in kids' ministry. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. <laughs> I'm glad that like some of us still have some kid in us, right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> if the whole body were an eye, <laughs> it's the side. When my little sister was like, uh, like four or five, she invented something called practical joke stories. So you'd be like on a car trip and be like, Mariah, do you want to tell us a practical joke story? And she'd be like, yeah, an eyeball on a bicycle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, if the whole body, but it, anyways, so the whole body were an eye, uh, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And that's, so I think this is our membership policy in, in the smallest nutshell, is if you're a member of this community, meaning here locally you're part of the global body of Christ. If any suffer, we suffer with them. And if any rejoice, we rejoice with them. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And so 
you have to have the rest of that. And people will sometimes subtract this from the context that it's in, and they'll be like, look, here's the list of authority, and apostles are on top. And basically, that's most equivalent to what we would call a church planter. Somebody who breaks new ground and starts new churches is doing apostling. And apostles are, are they the top of a social hierarchy, or are they the bottom of it? They are the bottom. They're the ones who have to be most careful, most watched, most a servant of all. And spiritual abuse happens if we don't think of it that way. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So in spite of the fact that you're going to be at the bottom of this hierarchy if you're a church planter, we should pray for that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what's love? Is love, uh, can love be abstracted? I think there's a long history of people saying, well, love is whatever I do. Right, or they can rationalize whatever they do. Well, I felt, or is love just sort of a feeling in your heart? Like, well, I did shoot that guy in the face and say, you know, something obscene to him, but I loved him when I did it. Is that love? No. He tells us here. Love is patient. There's a wonderful book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church that highlights how the virtue of patience is, is a fundamentally nonviolent way of interacting with the world, which is how people understood it. Patience is what gives rise to Christian nonviolence, which gives rise to things like the abolitionist movement. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Ever. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Everybody's like, am I at a wedding? (laughs) This is such a powerful wedding verse, but I I just, I love it. It's, It's used at weddings because it's just so incredibly beautiful. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So there you go. You have the Central Vineyard membership policy fully articulated. (laughs) <laughs> Go and figure out what that means. <laughs> um, and part of what this means, I, I want to highlight. So moving into, I'm going to talk a little bit about baptism, and then I'm going to have Kelly share some things that have been on her heart to share. And I, I honestly don't know anyone who could communicate this more beautifully and appropriately than Kelly. But I want to talk a little bit about baptism and how you can get baptized this morning if you want to. So the verse that we're sort of taking as inspiration for this period is from Acts 8. There is a a eunuch who's called an Ethiopian eunuch. 
The word Ethiopia, by the way, was used to refer to basically anything sort of in Northeast Africa at the time. It seems that he was uh, from a, a place called Kandake, where the uh, female queens uh, were called Kandake as well. And so the, the name here refers to that. So this is in Northeast Africa. So Philip receives a word from God, uh, and he goes to speak to this Ethiopian eunuch who worked uh, in the treasury of the Kandake. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So as an aside, there's all kinds of restrictions within um, the holiness code and things like that around how much eunuchs can participate in um, uh, sacral life uh, for him. And they, they don't see that as any kind of a barrier. And so this represents the general removal of barriers to baptism that we might think are there. Uh, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And so part of this, I, I think part of what is liberating that I want to share from this too, is that I, it is certainly best practice after baptism to be engaged in a Christian community, learning how to follow Christ's way of love together, to learn how to share, to uh, become increasingly generous and simple and patient with ourselves and others. This is a community endeavor. And yet, you know, there's a prodigality. There's, there's a sense of like just throwing seeds everywhere that also animates this. And I want that to inform how we approach baptism. Uh, if you do choose to get baptized with us during Eastertide, I hope that you engage with our community or a Christian community. And if, you know, if we were all to suddenly get teleported away and you went out rejoicing, like, that would be cool too. Now, I assume the Holy Spirit doesn't usually want it that way. There would probably be more teleportation if that were uh, the sort of way it should normally go. Um, so, <laughs> but if it does, it's okay, right? Um, uh, it's a blessing to experience and to enter that, even with sort of a bit of understanding of who this strange right-side-up king who's crucified and rules through patience might be. So in a bit, so basically Kelly is going to share some awesome stuff that I'm really excited about her sharing. Kelly, please feel free to come up. If you're interested in being baptized today, feel free to come and talk to me over there, and we will uh, check in on it. And if you're interested in getting baptized sometime during this period, feel free to talk later. Yes, Dream Katie. I just wanted to make sure this is a very good point. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. So actually, as an aside, so Katie said, I want to assure you, like, you don't have to get rebaptized. I think the vast majority of people here have probably been baptized. Uh, and we, you don't need to get rebaptized. This isn't like, time to get baptized. Uh, as, as an aside, so uh, I will get into this in more depth later. I was baptized as an infant, and I've personally not been rebaptized. Uh, 
Um, the vineyard is open, though. If, if you were baptized as an infant and you want to enter into a discernment process about that, we would love to talk to you. There's actually a lot of complexities around that, and I totally understand if you want to just be thinking about that. And, and so I would encourage you, if, if like, so if you were like, I am definitely wanting to get baptized, like, go for it. Uh, if it's like, oh, okay, they're doing this, like, for the next 49 days, probably better to have a conversation and think about it, and we'll explore it more, right? But this is here to suggest that uh, that is actually an option that we are open to as well during this period. And as a reminder that this is something we're focused on during this time for you and for your families and for any friends who you might want to invite to consider it. Good catch, Katie. Kelly, go ahead. Hi. Hi, I'm Kelly. I belong to the church, and I'll try to speak slowly and clearly and enunciate my words as I talk too fast, drive people nuts. So I'm going to like, be really slow if I can. If I go too fast, raise your hand or something like that. Okay, because when I talk fast, I mumble and slur. Okay, um, I, I, from this, I... I was listening to the song called Casting, well, actually, the group's called Casting Crowns, and the song's called Nobody, and it made me want to talk about it. Like, uh, I'm going to do two verses of the song and skip the chorus part, but um, it's the first part, the first part of it is, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. I've been to all my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quites, with all the not get it rights. But it turns out they were the ones you were looking for all this time. And then it says, um, and then they, and then Matthew West comes along. And he says, uh, Moses has stage fright. David brought a rock to a sword fight. It turned out that you chose, you picked 12, you picked 12 outsiders that nobody would have chosen and you changed the world. And moral of the story is everybody has a purpose. So when at the end of the, um, and that's what I said. So when I hear that devil start talking to me saying, who do you think you are? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm just nobody. I tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Well, I like it because everybody does have a purpose here. I mean, I didn't know I had a purpose. I mean, I'm going to bring back something about, about my past. Um, I, I was in the Air Force for a month. I went to college for maybe two or three months. I mean, I was great at those things. The only thing I found out, I, had a, I didn't know I had a mental illness at that time. So when I got kicked out of college, I thought I was a real failure. I don't belong here or anything like that. So I overdosed on some medication and I almost died. But God decided to save me and Jesus saved my soul and said, you, you do need to be here because you, I mean, you do have a purpose. I mean, I think my purpose is trying to make people, I can't make you smile, but I get you to smile. <laughs> um, and try to uh, bring happiness in other people's lives and try to do anything I can to, uh, to help anybody here. So, but everyone does have a purpose. You may know what it is, you may not know what it is. Heck, you may be doing it right now, just don't know you're doing it. And um, so always, I mean, never think that you're a failure, because, I mean, we're all imperfect. I mean, only um, 
we're only perfect in God's eyes. We may not be perfect in this world, but we're all perfect for God. And he loves us. And everybody loves each other here. So, um, But do I do have a public service announcement. Please. Public service announcement. Slide. Okay. Um, if you or anyone or anyone that you know has a mental health crisis or thinking about really having a bad time in life, um, there's a phone number you can call and, or a number you can text and try to get help or go to the nearest emergency room because you are worth being here in this world because you are loved, even though sometimes you may feel alone, um, there are people out there that really care. And do we have papers in the back? And we got papers with a text number and a phone number too. So, and now we're going to do communion. Okay. Okay. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it was on, it was, um, what was that? Um, Passover. Um, he, um, he told the people, he told his disciples, with this bread, eat this bread for his, my body and remember me. And when he took the wine, he said, drink this wine, this is my blood, do it in remembrance of me. Do it until I come back. And so that's what we're doing. Um, We've been really blessed by what you shared. And as the worship band comes up, uh, so we practice open communion here. Anyone is welcome to participate in it. Uh, it does involve a commitment to be part of the body of Christ here. Um, so you are welcome to that. And afterwards, you are welcome to receive prayer. There will be people at the sides. If you want prayer for anything at all, we would love to pray for you. Come Holy Spirit, please fill our time of communion. Amen. <laughs> 